I, I, over, I overheard somebody talking about you the other day, and it, it got me thinking about our relationship. And I know, I, I know it's been a while, probably longer than a while, and that, and that, that's my fault. I, um, I've created the distance between us. Um, you, you, you've always been there. You've always been there for me. And, I hear I hear a lot of I hear a lot of good things about you from people. Um, Nick, uh, you, well, you know Nick, my coworker. He he talks about you all the time. And people that know you tell me great things about you. It's just I don't know. I feel I feel guilty. Years of silence, not enough. Who could blame us? Above the quiet, there's a buzz, that's me trying. How's it going? I don't even know if I can ask you that. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I mean, this is really awkward for me, and I'm sure it's kind of a little weird for you, too. I... I admit, I, w- I haven't been the best son. I'll, I'll raise my hand to that. I was just hoping I could contact you and maybe we could, I don't know, maybe we could work something out and reconnect as father and son. And get that whole father-son thing going again. I don't know. This is dumb. Years of silence Not enough I know what you're going to do. You're going to want to talk about all the bad stuff I've done. And I, and I don't blame you. I've made a lot of mistakes. I, I can try and explain, but I, I can't. I can't explain what I've done. I, I wouldn't blame you if you just, if you just ignored me. you got to understand, though, I've tried over and over again. I've tried. And I just, I just can't measure up. I just don't feel like I'm good enough. You're so perfect that I'm, I'm anything but a perfectionist. I don't know. Maybe this was a bad idea. It's, it's not like I can just come home. I'm sure you've given all the love and mercy you had for me away already. I, can, I, I can't even pretend that I could even pay you back. It's just that I, I feel really lost. I don't know where to go. I don't know what else to do. I'm fresh out of ideas. And, and if you can't help me, well, then I don't know what I'm going to do. Years of silence, not enough. Who could blame us? Giving up above the quiet. There's a buzz that's me trying. That's me trying. the quiet there's a buzz
After humanity was disconnected from God because of sin, we began a quest. We began a journey. This quest has been one of looking for purpose, looking for meaning, looking for some way of self-redemption to correct the mistake that was made, to fix what was done. Because of that sin, because of that disconnection from God, man has had an emptiness, a feeling of just trying to be good enough, trying to earn his love, trying to earn the fact that he loves us, trying to somehow climb the ladder in his eyes. And that's been our journey. That's been our story. It's my story. And it's your story. It's our story. It's the story of humanity. Looking for purpose, looking for hope, looking for some sense of meaning out of life. Even once we set these goals and these things in mind and we achieve them, we're always left empty. We're always left feeling like, is that it? Is, is, is that? I, it's not at all how I thought I would feel. That's not at all how I thought it would be once I obtained this or once I had this. I still feel like there's something missing. And folks, that is because trusting in God is the only thing that is going to give us hope and give us purpose. It's the only thing that is going to give us hope and purpose. You know, a lot of times uh, we look for other things to give us some type of purpose or goal or meaning or significance. But everything else other than trusting in God will leave us empty. Because anything that man can achieve is never enough to satisfy. And what it does is it leaves us being very self-centered. Humans who have this mentality that think, oh, life is all about whatever makes me happy. Life is all about whatever I can get out of it. That's kind of my goal. I guess I'll just try to achieve as much as I can and just, you know, be as, as popular or as well-liked or as significant in my own eyes or loved or appreciated as I can. Maybe that means having this job or maybe that means having this position or maybe that means having a spouse or, or having a, a kids or having my kids be successful because maybe I feel like a failure. And we're searching, constantly looking. But even after we achieve these things, it seems to leave us empty because our purpose turns into us fulfilling selfish pursuits that even when they're achieved, they leave us feeling empty. I remember one time that I went to this church camp as a pastor. I was taking these uh, little kids to a kids camp, and this was a really cool moment for me because I had always wanted to go to this particular church camp. I had even heard about it when I was a little kid. I saw it on TV. And I mean, in my eyes, this thing was bigger than Six Flags. I mean, I wanted to go. I was so excited about going to this particular church camp. And well, I got to go as an adult taking these kids. And man, I, my eyes are just, you know, just huge when I walk through the gates of this camp. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I got to ride the go-karts. I got to go ride the jet skis. I, I, I got to go, you know, do all this. I went in the arcade and played as many games I wanted for free and got to experience the awesome services and all the fun things they had going on at this church camp. And I got an opportunity at the end of camp to talk to the son of the pastor who had founded this camp. 
And I went up and talked to him, and I said, man, this is amazing. You guys run thousands and thousands and thousands of kids through this camp every summer. Matter of fact, last year, I think they ran like 17,000 kids through the camp. And I mean, I'm just going, wow, this is incredible what you guys have accomplished. And I told him this. I said, it's so inspiring. And he said, yes, it is inspiring. He said, but I want you to think about something. He said, I grew up here. My dad founded this camp. He said, we have to go to other places to find inspiration because this isn't as inspiring to me as it is to you. He said, I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful for it. He said, but I don't walk through the gates here and get inspired like you do. He said, because I've seen it. I've been here. He said, matter of fact, he said, for us to get inspired, he said, all of us that are on staff at the church will often pick up and go to Disney World. So I'm putting together a proposal for the board to begin to help us pick up and go to Disney World so maybe we can find a little bit of inspiration. Come on, people. That was a joke, and it was a good joke, and the other two services laughed at it. But anyways, they, they said they had to go there to find inspiration. And, and the point is, is that there's different definitions of inspiration. There's different definitions based on what we've experienced, based on what we think is good. And oftentimes, we have different definitions of what significance means, what importance is, what being special is. We all have these different things that we'll chase after. For one person, it may be having a certain position in a company. In, a, in another person's eyes, it may be owning a company. In a certain person's eyes, it may be, you know, going after living in this particular type of neighborhood or, or living in this type of a house or driving this kind of a car or having these kind of kids or being this type of person that has this type of reputation in a community. And because of these different ideas that we have in our minds shaped by our experiences of what being significant is, a lot of times we'll give ourselves to pursuing those things. And if we don't have those things or have those positions or have that respect, all of a sudden we're left empty and we feel insignificant. We feel like I will never really matter until I have done this. I will never really have purpose in my life or I will never be somebody until I achieve this in my life. But here's the thing. I want you to think about this. Even when we achieve those things and even when we accomplish those things that we think will make us significant, that will make us important, once we obtain those things, that feeling of significance and importance doesn't last very long. It, it, it doesn't. I mean, you think, man, this house, I'm going to bend over backwards to buy this house because this house is going to be it. And you buy the house and then you realize you couldn't pay for it. You bit off more than you could chew. And now you don't feel very significant anymore. The thing you thought would make you significant and would make you feel important has now become a big stumbling block for you and a big headache in your life. And now you're trying to get rid of it. Or now you're trying to go, oh no, what do we do now? Or maybe you thought once I had this job and then you get that job in that position and you realized it didn't feel how you thought it was going to feel. It, 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 it wasn't all that you had hoped it would be. Or maybe you thought, if I could marry into this family, or if I could you know, get, get in the door with these people. I want you to think about this. Have you ever thought about like, you know, rock stars and movie stars, people who on the outside appear to have it all? They appear to have it all because they've achieved fame. People know their names. People think they're great. People pay money to go see their movies. They love them. They think they're awesome. They buy their albums. They're like, wow, this person is great. It must be amazing to live this kind of life where you can just go and have all these you know, fancy cars. You can do whatever you want. Isn't that just awesome? My kids, when we walk through the store in Walmart, if I had all the money in the world, I'd buy all these toys. 
But then what? But then what? Then what's going to be your passion? What's going to be the thing you're looking to achieve now that you've already achieved that? Now that you've already made your first million, what, what now? Well, I, I, I'm empty. I, I have no purpose. I, all of a sudden, I lose my sense of purpose. I lose my sense of hope. Or, or if I could live this kind of life, I, I, I have no purpose. I have no hope. Because trusting in God is the only thing that will give us hope and give us purpose. Listen to me, and I want you to hear me close. Even ministry is not going to be that thing that you think will make you significant. Your hope comes from God, not your title or your position. Not what other people think about you or what they may call you, what initials are in front of your name or behind your name. Those things don't make you significant. Those things don't make you important. Only trusting in God gives us that hope and gives us that purpose. You see, so many people are trying so hard to be somebody. They're trying to achieve a level of success that makes them feel significant to where they can stand up in front of a bunch of people and say, look at me, I'm valuable, I'm important, I made it. Look at me, look at what I've done. Look at me, I'm worth something. And we do the same exact thing with God. Look at me, God, look at what I did. I'm valuable, I'm important. We've got to quit trying to be somebody. We've got to quit trying to achieve some type of feeling of significance through what we have done. And let that be our purpose. Because every time, folks, it's going to leave you feeling empty. You know, I, I go to a, uh, pastor's conferences, things like that. And, or I'll go to local pastor's gatherings here in, in our community. And I'll talk to them. And you want to know one of the first questions everybody wants to ask when a bunch of pastors get together. So how many are you running? How many people you got? And that's just what pastors say. Whether you like it or not, that's what pastors say. It's just what they do when they get together. They're interested to know what type of, what size of church someone's pastoring. Because somehow we've gotten this idea and this mentality that our success or the number of people that we can reach somehow equates to our significance and our importance, and it's wrong. It's wrong in every level of our lives. Because, see, let, let me tell you, a, a lot of people feel, oh, I'm, I'll be a significant pastor or significant person in ministry if I'm writing a book that everybody knows that's on the New York Times bestseller list. Then, then I'll be somebody. If I'm asked to come uh, speak at conferences, then I'm somebody. And we'll chase after these dreams of just trying to be somebody. And then when we get there, we realize that we were just chasing after our own selfish pursuits to try to find significance. It doesn't matter. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being successful and, and, and people wanting you to come speak at a conference or writing a book. There's nothing wrong with pastoring a large church, but that does not make you significant. There's nothing wrong with wanting a better job. Nothing wrong with wanting to do better for your family, but that does not make you significant. That does not make you somebody. You've got to understand we cannot put our value in things and in how other people view us. We've got to quit trying to be somebody. Because here's the thing, folks. Your best is not good enough to impress God. I want you to think about that. God doesn't go, oh, look at that. That's pretty awesome. I am so shocked that you did that. I'm not all-knowing. Wow. No, God knew. He's not impressed. He's not shocked. He doesn't go, oh. God, you, you got to understand, we're shocked, but God's not shocked. We're impressed, but God's not impressed. All of a sudden, you know, God's not caught off guard by how popular you may be in certain circles in the community. 
I finally weaved my way into the circles where I'm talking to the big people. <laughs> Guess who I know? Guess whose number I have in my phone? Look at this, God. God goes, wow, you must be pretty important. And, you know, we'll try to name drop. Oh, guess who I know? I know so-and-so. I, I had lunch with so-and-so's second cousin, and they're famous because they know so-and-so. And let me tell you, man, I'm important because I know them. And we'll try to name drop. What, and really, all we're doing is we're, we're, we're trying to scream at, at someone and say, look at me. I'm valuable. I'm important. Look at me. I'm significant because I know this or because I can do this. Or because I have this degree or that degree. Or because I live in this neighborhood or that neighborhood. Or because I work here and have this title. Or because I'm doing this in the church. Or because I, 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 I'm, I'm very important because of my position or my name. Because who I'm related to. And we're trying so hard to be somebody. But it always, always, always leaves us empty. Because God is not impressed with our best. God doesn't go, wow, you're a lot better than so-and-so. Matter of fact, do you remember the story when uh, the, uh, Jesus was in the temple and people were coming and, and giving and there were some priests who came in and, and they were just giving just tons of money in the offering and I mean, everybody saw what they gave. They just came in with all this treasure and just started dumping it you know, there, uh, where they were receiving the offering. And I was like, wow, look at those guys. And then a little lady comes in, and all she had was just two small coins, and she dropped them in there. And Jesus said, now, who gave more? He said, now, this lady gave more. He said, because she was giving from her heart because she gave all, her hat, all she had. You see, God was looking at our hearts. He's not impressed with what we do because he's not caught off guard. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah first chapter Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes Song of Solomon, Isaiah then Jeremiah Old Testament so just kind of look for it from there book of Jeremiah first chapter <coughs> Jeremiah 1 Verse 4 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, this is Jeremiah, he wrote this, he's, reading, he's writing it as a narrative. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, O oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a youth. But God said to me, Don't say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you're going to speak. Don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now, I want you to catch this. God told Jeremiah, he said, listen, buddy, I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. I knew the thoughts and the plans that I had for you. I've already ordained you as a prophet to the nations before you were even a twinkle in your daddy's eye. He said, I already had plans for you, and I already knew what I wanted you to do. I already ordained you as a prophet to the nations. You see, Jeremiah was chosen. He was chosen before he ever even arrived on the scene. He was already somebody in the eyes of God. Jeremiah did not have to climb the corporate ladder of success in the eyes of God to be chosen. He was chosen before he showed up. Matter of fact, God said, I have ordained you to be a prophet, you will be my mouthpiece to the nations, and I already had that in mind before you ever even showed up. 
So it's not based on Jeremiah's speaking ability. All of a sudden, God looks throughout the earth and he sees someone. Oh, there's Jeremiah. He sure is a pretty good speaker. I wonder if I can get him to do the job. That's not what God was doing. Because he said, I ordained you as a prophet to the nations before you could even utter anything that was intelligible. He said, before you could even speak mama and dada, I already called you to speak my words. Whoo! Come on, somebody. Before you could even say mama or daddy, before you could even say, I want my bottle, before you could even say, he hit me, she hit me, before you could say any of that stuff, I already called you and appointed you and anointed you as a prophet to the nations because I chose you. Jeremiah said, I can't do this, God. He said, listen, you can do this because I chose you. He said, you have what it takes because I chose you. I know you've got what it takes because I had this in mind for you. And because of that, you are fully able to do what I have created you to do. Now, Jeremiah didn't have to try to be good enough to earn his calling. He didn't have to try to climb that corporate ladder with God because with God, there is no corporate ladder to climb. God chose him. Jeremiah couldn't impress God to earn a spot with God. He couldn't move up the roster and convince God that he was significant. I'm going to reveal something real nerdy about myself this morning. <laughs> I play this game on my iPad, and it's called Clash of Clans. It's like Farmville, but nerdier. And you're like, could anything be nerdier than Farmville? Sorry for all you Farmville people, but I play this little game, and it's just something I can play real quick. And uh, I've kind of gotten into it. And basically what it is, is I, I build my clan and we build our troops and then we go out online and we find other people's clans and we destroy them and we get trophies and we get gold and we get all kinds of stuff when we go and destroy their clan. And guess what? I am the 67,073rd best player in the world. And when we get done here at church... I'm going to go destroy somebody else's clan so I can be the 66,000th best player. And I'm going to try to climb that and be better. And a lot of times that's how we view God. We view God as, oh, I, I did this or I committed to do this, so now I'm better. Now I, I'm better and God likes me more now because I've moved up the roster. I have moved up in God's eyes because of what I've accomplished. And folks, let me tell you, that's not how this thing works. Because the Bible says that our righteousness or our good deeds, apart from Christ, they're nothing but filthy rags. They're not going to earn us anything in the eyes of God. Because our story is one of us trying. We're trying to be significant. We're trying to show others and to show God that we somehow have earned or deserve His forgiveness. And, and we may even feel like we have to go through a season of, of, of penance to earn God's, God's grace and His forgiveness. And so we feel like whatever we're going through, good or bad, is God's judgment and His punishment because of our evil and we're somehow earning our forgiveness. And folks, that's wrong. It's not how this thing works. You can't earn forgiveness. You can't earn grace. You can't earn God's love. You cannot earn this thing. It's not anything that we could do. The Bible talks about this. It says that salvation, it's a gift. God's gift of grace. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. The Bible says otherwise we could say, look at how good I am because I earned grace. 
It's not something we exchange and, 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 and God, you'll do this if I do this and, and I'm somehow trying to manipulate God so I can get to heaven or so I can have a good life here on this earth. No, 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 no. That's not how this thing works. We've got it all wrong because we're on this quest for significance. Even good meaning Christian people are on a quest to try to impress somebody or impress God because we think that somehow maybe we can get our prayers answered if we'll just be a little, a, a, a little bit better or if we'll just pray a little harder or if we'll just try to get God to like us a little bit more. And folks, that's not how this thing works. You see, Jeremiah was chosen, but that wasn't the end of the story just because he was chosen because a lot of people are chosen. What Jeremiah had to do was he had to choose to trust God that he was chosen. That was Jeremiah's responsibility. He had to trust that he was chosen. Otherwise, this thing wouldn't have worked out. Because in and of itself, what's the first thing he did? He wanted to give an excuse. He wanted to say, oh, I'm just a youth. He said, don't say that. I knew you. I've already picked you. I've already chosen you. I want you on my team. And I've already ordained you. I've already equipped you. Now you just need to trust me that I chose you. Do you remember the story of Mary? the Virgin Mary, who gave birth to Jesus? Do you remember when the angel visited her and he said, you're going you're gonna to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus? And she said, how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. I don't, I don't know how this is going to work because I've never known a man. He said, don't worry about it. It's not anything you can do. It's not anything you could, you, could, you could conceive on your own, but the Holy Spirit is going to supernaturally plant the seed of God on the inside of you. Because this is the way it has to be. And then what did Mary say after that? She said, let it be done unto me as you have said. That was Mary saying, I trust that I'm chosen. Let it be done unto me. I trust that it's going to happen the way you said because I trust you that I'm chosen. That's what Jeremiah had to do. He had to trust God that he was chosen. And here's the thing, folks, that I want you to get. You have to understand that you are significant because you are chosen by God. Oh, I'm going to say that slow so I can say it some more. Somebody wasn't listening. I said you are significant because you are chosen by God. Not because of anything you accomplished, not because of anything that you did. You're significant, you're significant because you matter to God. As a matter of fact, you matter so much to God that in John 3 and 16, the Bible says that God loved you before you ever even had a choice in the matter, before you ever even had a say-so in the matter. He made the decision to love you, and he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son, and all you had to do was trust him that you were chosen, and you would have everlasting life. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3 and 9, he says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come into the family of God and have eternal life. He said that he wants everyone to know freedom, everyone to know victory, everyone to know salvation. And he said, I picked you to be saved. I picked you to be in my family. I don't want anybody to not be in my family, but for you to be a part of what God wants to do in your life, you have to choose to trust that you're chosen. Hello, somebody. And when I understand that I'm chosen, when I understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me. You, you, you got to understand, the, the man that drank too much last night and has passed out somewhere, miserable, with a splitting headache, feeling sorry for himself, he's chosen. He just has to wake up and realize he's chosen. 
The person that's at home right now struggling with depression and struggling with self-worth, they need to realize they're chosen. The person that's sitting in a jail cell right now with a life sentence needs to realize that they're chosen. And if they'll trust that they're chosen, then they can be separated and set free from their past and all of the junk that they've been carrying around. And they can believe God is the one that made them right. Not anything they did. Think about this. Think about this. This will mess you up. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was out killing Christians. Think about this. Think about the bigness of the grace of God. I want you to think about this. This will mess you up. You you, you think that because so-and-so is not as spiritual as you, that they're not a Christian. Paul was killing people. And God chose him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. God already said, Paul, listen, I I chose you. Now listen, I knocked you off that horse that day. Now you have a choice. You have a choice of whether or not you're going to trust me that you're chosen. You've got to come to the end of yourself thinking that you're somehow earning God's love. Because you see, Paul thought that he was doing a good thing back when his name was Saul and he was out there killing Christians. He thought he was doing a good thing. He thought he was righteous for doing it. And he was somehow earning some type of accolades with God because of his zealous nature and because of the deeds he was doing. And he said, who are you that knocked me off my horse? Jesus said, it's me, the one you've been persecuting. Whoa. I've chosen you, Saul. I've chosen you. You need to be disconnected from your past. You need to understand there's something different going on. I've chosen you, and now you need to change your name if you're going to follow me, if you're going to trust in me, because you need to be disconnected from who you were. You're Paul. You're my beloved. You're my son. You're the one I've chosen, and that makes you significant, not any of the works you were trying to do to impress me, to try to earn something with me. You are significant because you are chosen by God. Look at somebody this morning and tell them, I'm chosen. Oh, y'all acting like the chosen frozen. Y'all need to wake up this morning. Y'all need to look at somebody, slap somebody and say, I'm chosen. Oh, come on. Let's act like we're in church today. Look at somebody and say, I'm chosen. You need to get this because until you get this, you're going to be spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and wearing yourself out thinking you're doing something that's earning you a position in God's eyes when all you're doing is trying to look for significance. That's all you're doing is just searching for significance. The only thing that makes me significant is the fact that I was chosen. I was chosen by God. God so loved a few people. No. He so loved the world. And that, and that, that love that made him give his only son made him choose me before I ever had a say in the matter. I've just got to decide whether or not I'm going to trust him that I'm chosen. I'm either going to find my significance in the fact that I'm chosen or either I'm going to find this endless quest, this story of humanity searching for something significant. You see, God doesn't want anyone to perish or live defeated or chained to sin. He wants you to know that before you ever chose him that you were chosen, that you have a purpose. But here's the deal, folks. It comes down to this. It comes down to this turning point in our story. This is part of my story. This is part of your story where the turning point happens in all of our lives, the crossroads that we have to face, is that who do we put our faith in? 
Who are we going to trust? Who do we put our faith in? You see, sometimes we've got to come to the end of ourselves before we learn to trust God. Sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves. You remember uh, in the Old Testament, the law was given, and a lot of people, especially the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they took that law, and they wanted to somehow try to achieve perfection out of that law. Matter of fact, the Bible says the, the law, it actually kills and they were, trying to, they were trying to uphold all of these things in the law and be perfect. And a matter of fact, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they thought that they were so important that it was even a part of their clothing that it would show how important they were. Different colors meant different things. And, and, and they would wear all of these things on that would show you how important and significant they were. And they would walk through the streets proclaiming to everyone, look at me, aren't I important? Aren't I special? God really likes me because look at all the things that I can uphold and look at all the things you can't, you filthy sinner. And they would walk very judgmental through the crowds, condemning, pointing fingers. And you know what Jesus said to that group of guys that was trying to be perfect, that was trying to keep it all together, trying to impress God and trying to somehow earn a spot where they were significant because of their accomplishments, the things they did and the things they didn't do things they had memorized and things that they could quote and things that they could use to cast judgment. You want to know what Jesus said to these guys? He's, he said, listen, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that if a man looks on a woman and he lusts after her in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Now, how many of those men could say that they had not done that? They may have abstained from the actual physical act of adultery, but Jesus said, listen, it's not about do's and don'ts. It's about your heart. He said, and in your heart, you have committed adultery. You've heard it said, don't commit murder, but if you've ever had anger towards your brother and you've ever held stuff over his head, he said, you've already committed murder in your heart. So basically, Jesus was calling these men who had tried to keep all of their stuff together. He was calling them adulterers and murderers. And Jesus took it a step further and he said, listen, everybody. He said, if, if any one of you thinks that you can fulfill this and you think you can be perfect and you think you can somehow earn this through your deeds and your acts, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, next time you see someone that will cause you to lust, you know what it'd be better if you did? It'd be better if you just plucked your eye out. He said, because it'd be better for you to enter into heaven with one eye than to burn in hell. That's what he said. He said, you know, maybe if you're having a problem with, 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 with theft, you know, maybe you just need to cut off your hands. Because wouldn't it be better if you entered into heaven without any hands? If you think that it's in your deeds and if it's in your works. You see, you can't do this on your own. You can't achieve perfection. You can't achieve significance. You can't achieve purpose. You can't achieve these things through your good deeds and through your works. You can't earn that because the, 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 the violation that man committed, the treason against God in the Garden of Eden that completely changed everything, can't be restored by anything we can do. Significance can't be found in anything we can achieve. It can only be found the same way that it was lost in the Garden because all man had to do in the Garden of Eden, like we talked about last week, was simply trust that what God said was true. And it's the same way that we find life. 
the same way we find significance, the same way we find purpose. We understand that we're chosen and we trust that what God said is true. Amen, somebody? I want to show you something here in the book of Judges. Look at Judges chapter 16. Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. If you're looking for Judges, it's right after Joshua. Judges chapter 16 we're going to look at. And we're going to talk about Samson. Have any of you guys been watching the Bible series on TV? Isn't that cool? I, I think it's great. I can't wait for it to come out on DVD. I think it's going to just be a really good thing to have. And, and, and I love the way they portray the emotion of the characters, things that maybe you know, we, we, we never thought about that they would have been feeling or experiencing in those moments. And I know that one of the stories that's been on television is the story of Samson. And if you don't know the story of Samson, Israel was being occupied by the Philistines. And during this time, there were no kings. God raised up judges to judge Israel. And Samson was going to be one of these guys. But maybe what you didn't know is that an angel came to Samson's mother because she was barren. Came to his mother and said, listen, you're going to have a son. And his name is going to be Samson. And he is to be a Nazarite from birth. He's chosen. I've chosen him before he's even showed up on the scene, before he's even arrived. I've chosen Samson. And he's going to help deliver Israel from this evil occupation. But he's supposed to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, uh, being a Nazarite meant that you took a special vow. And the Bible talks about this vow. And a lot of times when people would take it, they would only take it for a season. You know, they would only be a Nazarite for just a season. They, it wouldn't be a lifelong thing, but he's supposed to be a Nazarite for life. Other Nazarites in the Bible, you'll see uh, Samuel the prophet, John the Baptist. These guys took this Nazarite vow. And Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite from birth. And what that meant was that he was supposed to abstain from three things that were supposed to be a sign that set him apart. Those three things was he was never supposed to touch anything dead. He was never supposed to eat anything off of the vine, like, like grapes and raisins or drink wine or anything like that. And then the other thing he was supposed to not do is cut his hair. So there were three things that Nazarites were not supposed to do. And he wasn't supposed to do those his entire life. I've called this boy a Nazarite from birth. It's not going to be a seasonal deal of consecration to God. This is going to be a lifelong thing for this guy because I've chosen him. I've set him apart. Now, he did some awesome things. He helped deliver uh, the Israelites from the Philistines. He, he went and, and, and tied a bunch of foxes' tails together, set them on fire, burned down some fields. He went and, uh, and, and killed a bunch of Philistines. But even with all of the things he was doing to help to try to deliver Israel because of his great strength that he had, because of the, the strength that God had given him, there was a woman that came into his life. And her name was Delilah. And Delilah said, hey, Samson, how you doing? You strong. You must work out. And he said, <laughs> yeah. And what Samson didn't know is that Delilah was a spy that was sent in by the Philistines that they were going to pay her off to seduce Samson to try to figure out what was the source of his great strength because they were tired of getting whooped. And they said, why don't you go find out what the source of the strength is? Come and tell us and we'll pay you for it. She said, all right. So she says, hey, Samson, what's the source of your strength? She's batting her eyes at him. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, girl. He said, if you tie me up with these ropes, he said, I'll be as weak as any other man. So Samson passes out, falls asleep. She says, I'm going to get him. 
ties him up with all these ropes, and then she calls the Philistine guards, and come on, he, he told me the source of his strength. Wake up, Samson, wake up, wake up, the Philistines are up on you, wake up. And he just broke through the ropes, and he just whooped them, and they went home crying to mama. <laughs> and she said, Sammy, why did you lie to me? He said, oh, girl, I was just playing with you. He said, that's not the source of my strength. He said, let me tell you what really is. If you braid the seven locks of my hair together, he said, I'll be as weak as any other man. So he falls asleep, knowing this crazy girl's going to braid his hair. She braids his hair, wakes him up, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He gets up and smacks them around again. They run home. And she said, Sammy, why'd you do this to me? Why won't you tell me? He says, oh, girl, I was just playing with you. And then the Bible says this in Judges 16 and, and verse 16. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all of his heart. I want you to look forward when I say this. That means he was nagging her. He nagged her to death. The woman nagged that man to death. Don't look to your right or to your left. Look forward. That woman nagged that man to death and wouldn't leave him alone. Look forward. It's going to help you. That woman nagged that man to death, and finally he said, geez, golly. He said, all right, I'll tell you what the deal is. He said, no razor has ever come upon my head. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I'll become weak, and I'll be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all of his heart, she did it again, called the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up once more, for he has told me all of his heart. So the Philistines came and brought the money in their hand. She lulled him to sleep on her knees, and then she called the man to shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are on you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Verse 22 says, however, the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. You see, trusting in ourselves, like Samson did, is us trying to prove to God and other people that we're good, that we're righteous in ourselves, that we're self-sufficient, that we're able to obtain redemption and favor from God by our accomplishments and our deeds. But at the core of our heart, it's really us relying on ourselves, isn't that sad? Samson woke up and he thought he was going to go whoop up these Philistines. Now, let me tell you something. You have some nappy dreadlocks. You've been growing since you was born. Never had your hair cut. That's got to weigh a ton. Now, I shaved my head recently and I've had hair my whole life. Where are my bald brothers at? What? And you know the first time you shave your head and you lay your head on that pillow, you're like, oh, man, this feels weird, man. This is, this is different. You know, my wife used to run her fingers through my head. Now she just... It's like sandpaper. She's got some smooth hands, though. Sandpaper? Anyways. Womp, womp. 
And I could imagine Samson being used to the weight of this hair his whole life, being woke up. He knows something's up. Because when he wakes up, instead of getting up like he normally does and feeling those long locks of hair, he wakes up and goes, whoa! He gets out of bed and he notices there's hair all over him and he's going, what in the world? And then she says, the Philistines are here, Samson! And after his hair was cut, he knew it was cut. He thought that he could still go out. He said, I'll go out just as I did before. I'll shake myself free, and I'm going to go whoop these guys. And as soon as he went, he realized, oh, my gosh, this is my own strength. This is me trying. This is me going out and relying on myself. And what happened? He came to the end of himself. He came to the end of himself because his eyes were gouged out. He was put in chains, and then he was put into this working this meal, going around and around. And this meal, working this grindstone, day after day, Samson was chosen. He was chosen. He just forgot he was chosen. He thought it was something he accomplished. He thought it was something he did. See, that's me trying. That's me trying to be somebody. Me thinking that it's of myself that I've somehow earned this place with God. But Samson had to come to the end of himself and realize it's not my strength. Because one day, Samson was working that grindstone. And he was sweating profusely. He was tired. And he was just going to wipe the sweat off of his head. And he paused just for a moment on the grindstone, hoping that he could wipe the sweat off of his head before the Philistine guard cracked his whip. And notice he wasn't working anymore. And he wipes the sweat off of his head and he realizes something as he does. He feels his hair. And he remembers he's chosen. Samson's hair was not magic. There was no power in Samson's hair. The power came from Samson realizing he was chosen. The hair was just a sign that he was chosen. That it wasn't about him, that he was chosen. You see, it wasn't Jeremiah's speaking abilities that got him props with God. It was that he was chosen before he ever showed up. He just had to trust he was chosen. Once Samson felt that hair, he remembered, wait a minute. I'm a Nazarite from birth. I'm chosen. And then he prayed to God and he said, God, he said, if you'll grant me strength one last time, he said, I want to take these guys out and do what I was created to do. And he did. And he was able to kill more Philistines than he ever did in his life in that one moment. And he destroyed that temple there because God gave him that strength. Because he realized that the strength wasn't something that came from him. It was something that came from being chosen. You see, folks, this is good news today. Because I want to challenge you in this place to recognize that you're chosen to look at whatever circumstance that you're facing and realize that your story is not over. My story's not over. Samson's eyes were gouged out. Samson, it looked like he was stripped completely of everything. But that wasn't the end of his story. No, that wasn't going to be the end of Samson's legacy and how he would be remembered because he recognized he was chosen. 
I don't know where you're at in life today. I don't know where you're at in your marriage. Maybe you're, everything just looks like it's falling apart and you're on the fringe. I don't know what type of bad financial decisions you made or whatever has happened that has just hurt you financially to where you're stressed out and your stomach's all in knots late at night because you're looking at all of the bills that are hanging on your refrigerator that are just, just laced with red ink. I don't know exactly what you're going through, what your boss said to you this week or the rumors that are going around at the company you work for. I don't know what your child did or said to hurt you this past week, but I do know that no matter how bad it was, no matter how hopeless it may seem, that your story is not over because you're chosen. Amen, somebody? It's not the end. It's not time. It's not time to throw my hands up in the air and quit and say, oh, I just hope that I die or Jesus comes back, but I hope one of them happens soon because I'm miserable. No, God does not want you to live the rest of your days miserable. He wants you to understand, like Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, I know the thoughts I have for you. They're thoughts to prosper you and for you to do well, not thoughts to bring you harm. He said, I created you. I have good intentions for you. It's just up to you to realize you're chosen. And once you realize you're chosen, you need to start acting like you're chosen. You need to start acting like you're a child of God, not because of how good you've been or how bad you've been, but because of how good Jesus is. You see, it's not up to us. We could never do it. We could never earn it. Jesus already did it. He already earned it. He already paid the price. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that he took on his body that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by his wounds, we're restored. We're healed. We're made whole. Not because of what we did. I just have to realize I'm chosen. I have to realize my story's not over. I have to realize that no matter how bad it is right now or how difficult it may be or how much smoke is in the way that I can't see through it and I don't know what's going to happen next, that it's not over for me. It's not time to give up. It's not time to throw in the towel. It's not time to go, this is too hard. It's time to realize you're chosen and step up and start acting like you're chosen. You act like you're chosen by trusting God. That's all Samson had to do and he would have kept on doing what God had called him to do. But he chose to trust in himself, trust in his own strength. God wants us to walk trusting in him. That's all he's ever wanted. You see, choosing to trust God for our salvation and our redemption means that we begin to look to the one who gave it all. We said, I'll stand with arms high, heart abandoned, in awe of the one who gave it all. The reason I sing that and the reason I say that is because I recognize that you gave it all and I'm chosen. That means I'm worth something, folks. That means I'm significant. That means that I'm significant in the eyes of God, not because of my accomplishments, but because of what Jesus accomplished, and I trust that I'm chosen. That's where my significance comes from. That's where my hope comes from. That's where my purpose comes from. I don't have to aimlessly try to find some type of purpose and meaning and significance in this life because of maybe the challenges I've faced or the things that I've had to deal with in my life because my significance is not wrapped up in a title. My significance is not wrapped up in my accomplishments. My significance is wrapped up in what Jesus already accomplished. And I trust in him that I'm chosen. And it changes me from the inside out. It changes me from the inside out. Then all of a sudden when I realize I'm chosen, my life begins to produce fruit that shows that I'm chosen. I may not feel chosen very much right now, but you are. 
You're significant now. You know that God loves you just as much as he loves Billy Graham. Billy Graham's not going to have a special seat in heaven just because of everything he's done in this earth. You're just as significant to God as he is. You know, even though I'm a pastor and I'm your pastor, you know that God doesn't like me more than he likes you. Now, there will be rewards in heaven, but there's not going to be difference of significance. God's not going to go, okay, first class up here. Woo-hoo, party. All the rest of you guys are in coach because you screwed it up down there. That's not how this thing works. You blew it down there. You weren't that great of a Christian. Coach, we're all first class to God. I don't care if you live in a one-bedroom apartment that you don't know how you're going to pay the rent and pay the bills, or if you're living in a 10,000-square-foot home that's beautiful and paid for and you're driving a Mercedes-Benz. It doesn't matter. I don't care if your car barely started this morning or if you had someone drive you to church because you're so important. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. Man looks at that and goes, ooh, ah. God says, you're significant because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's my story. That's your story. That's our story, understanding that we're significant not because of what we did, but because of what God did. Jesus paid the ultimate price for our freedom, for our salvation, and His love and His mercy and His grace gave me purpose. And I can boldly say to my circumstance, I can boldly say to the enemy, my story is not over because I'm chosen. Amen, somebody? I'm more than a conqueror because the greater one lives in me. Jesus said, I'm free. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm victorious. Why? Because I'm chosen. That's why. He destined me to be a conqueror. He destined me to be an overcomer. He already had it planned out. I just have to choose to trust him that that's what he sees me as and that's how he wants me to be. And stop trying to achieve it and start receiving it. You can't achieve salvation. You have to receive it. The Bible says you receive that gift of grace by faith. It's not a work or something you earned in and of yourself, lest man should boast. Maybe you're here in this place today and you say, Pastor, hearing you talk, and the Holy Spirit's talking to me, and I, I don't even, might not even recognize that it is the Holy Spirit, but, but He is. He's telling you, this, this is you. You need to start trusting in Christ. You need to start trusting that Jesus paid it all, that Jesus gave it all. And you need to grow in that grace. And you need to grow in that love. You need to grow in that truth. You need to receive that mercy and stop feeling like you're worthless because of what you did yesterday or what you're struggling with today. You need to stop feeling worthless because of what type of family you were raised in or what you, what you had to deal with growing up. What type of pain was inflicted on you or what type of bad decisions you made. you got to stop looking for significance and start receiving the fact that you are significant because of Jesus. I want you to bow your head for just a moment. If you're in this place today and you say, yeah, pastor, that's me. I need to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior and find my significance in Him. And if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come forward. I just want you to let me know you're here. Why everybody's got their head bowed and their eyes closed. Just lift up your hand and put it right back down. Anybody in this place? Hands are up all over this place today. Hands are up. I see your hands. I see those hands. 
more importantly than that, God sees those hands. And let me tell you why that's important. Because it's you recognizing your need for God. That's why I ask you to lift your hands. You recognize the fact that, listen, I need Jesus Christ in my life. And if you raised your hand, I want you to say this prayer after me. And church, I want you to help me. And help those people that raise their hand by agreeing with them. And I want you to say this prayer as well. Say, Jesus, I trust you that what you did on the cross was good enough to make me right with God. You were the ultimate sacrifice. You were the perfect sacrifice. So I could be free. So I could be significant. So I could be somebody. So I could be chosen in the eyes of God. And I am somebody. I am significant. I am chosen because of Jesus. And I trust in Him that what He did was good enough to save me. So Jesus, I give you my heart. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look back up here. If you said that prayer today and you...